I'm Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and you're listening to Stand to Reasons hashtag STRask podcast. Hey, Greg, you ready to start on this? I am. All right. This first question comes from Jason F. A human life begins at conception. But since we are more than just our bodies, where do our souls come from? Are they specially created by God at conception? And if so, is it possible that in his foreknowledge, he doesn't create souls for those who won't be born due to miscarriage, abortion, etc.? Well, this is a, a profound question, and there are basically two positions historically. Uh, one is called traducianism, and the other one is called creationism. All right. The I'll start with creationism because it sounds like easier to understand, and I guess it is. And that is that the making of the body is a result of two human beings coming together, but the making of the soul is a special act of de novo creation by God. Okay. So mom and dad make the physical body, but God makes the soul and then in a certain sense, pairs it or unites it with the body. All right. And, uh, and, and so the human then is an ensouled physical self, two substances, a physical substance and a non-physical substance. And the non-physical substance is the seat of personal identity. The you who you are is tied to the non-physical substance because to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So who is absent from the body? The individual who dies, and then that same individual goes to be with the Lord sans physical body, without their physical body. So we know even though there's a deep union between body and soul, the identity is tied to the soul. So that's the creationist view. That's the Roman Catholic view, as I understand it. Okay. Now, I have difficulties with that view because it – uh, it, to me, at least, and I haven't done a lot of deep research on this, but to me, at least, it creates a problem for the notion of the fallen nature of the soul. If God creates the soul and the souls of humans are also fallen like the body and we're fully fallen, all of us fallen, then um, then does God create a fallen soul? Well, no, he couldn't do that. He'd be responsible for the fallenness then. Well, then if he does the soul in a certain sense become tainted or fall when it becomes associated or connected with the physical body, well, that sounds like Gnosticism, you know, where the material world is evil and then, you know, and it corrupts our souls. And this just, it this doesn't make any sense to me. Now, it also raises the question for a lot of people, well, when does this happen? Uh, because if if the if there's conception and then at some later time the soul is placed in the body or united with the body, then um, you don't have a full human being at some stage of pregnancy. Okay, and so that raises a question. Now, even if you hold a creationist view, you can still hold that the uniting of the specially created soul is simultaneous with the um, creation of the genuine new human body 
at the at the time of conception. So you don't necessarily have that time jump, but at least the question can be raised at that point. And, and my again, my understanding is Catholicism uh, would hold that the soul is there right when the new body is there too. So they don't make this distinction, but some people do. Well, when does it get the soul? Philosophically, it seems that human beings are united beings and that soulish activities can be experienced very, very young. Like all sensations are soulish activities. So if there is a feeling of pain or a hearing of sounds, any kind of conscious activity at all, and of course that takes a little brain development somewhere along the line before those things can happen. But those are capacities of the soul that get that get um, expressed when the physical body has the capability to manage those capacities of the soul. So a case can be made that the soul, um, that even the youngest uh, human being in the zygote phase even, um, is is still ensouled, and the soul is what drives the development, not the physical genes or whatever. It uses the genes. It uses the physical body. So now we're in a little bit more complex discussion of this relationship between body and soul. For one, for more detail, the person to go to for that is always J.P. Moreland. He's written a lot on that. Um, so I'll just reference J.P. on that and uh, leave that. The other alternative is the alternative I hold. It seems to me to make more sense and explain some things that I was just talking with somebody about the other. Oh, it was you <laughs> on the phone from my cabin in Wisconsin, where I'm broadcasting from. Not the cabin, the church, but well, I'm in Wisconsin. Um, and and that is the traducian view is the view that mom and dad make the whole human being. That what mom and dad produce is a full human being. And a full human being has two substances joined together. So mom and dad produce the unique body. Of course, everybody knows pretty much that understands how this works, genetics, etc. that the body that any human being has is a unique product of the mother and father they had. And no other pair of human beings would make the body that they have because of the genetic relationship. On the Traducian view, it is the mother and father who produce the soul. So the soul that you have, the person you are, is a unique product of the individual mother and individual father you had, and no other human being would make you. So it, it on that view, it doesn't make sense that God would only put souls in people that wouldn't die young or there's a whole host of different ways that people will cash this out. Maybe he, he doesn't ensoul people that, or he puts the souls of people who would never believe in him in bodies that are remote from the gospel and it never gets preached, but it doesn't matter because they wouldn't believe anyway. And he knew that. So he put them in the, none, that actually doesn't make a lot of sense to me for a number of reasons, though some you know, bright people seem to hold that view. Um, as a tradition, I don't face that problem. And also, I don't face the problem of the fallenness of the soul. This just the souls are fallen. Adam and Eve's soul are, are fallen with their body. Their selves are fallen and they reproduce after their own kind, which, by the way, is another textual support, in my view, at least, for this tradition view of the uh the origin of the soul. If if Adam and Eve 
are reproducing after their own kind and their kind is an ensouled body, then they reproduced ensouled bodies. And if after the fall, their ensouled bodies are broken, then they reproduce after their kind, broken, ensouled bodies. And that would explain the full fall in this of human beings, the impact in their, what the scripture calls the flesh, their carnal or fallen natures that is in some mysterious way tied to their bodies. Um, so when you get a resurrection body, that changes. There's no f- flesh doesn't get resurrected. Good thing, by the way. Um, and uh, it also, but it also explains how souls are just as fallen as bodies. So to me, there's a there's less problem. It's almost like a um, you know an Occam's razor. It's less complicated. It seems straightforward. It makes more sense to me in a very straightforward kind of fashion. Doesn't add the other complications of creationism. But both are respectable views. I don't even know what and your view is, you, actually, um, Amy. So I don't know. If, have we talked about? Um, I, I've held to I've held to the same view as you. I'm I'm open to hearing arguments for the other view. But even if one takes the idea that God creates the the soul, I don't see any reason to think that there is some time. There's some point in time when we are incomplete human beings. Mm-hmm. Where we're not, and by incomplete, I don't mean we're not fully developed. Mm-hmm. I mean we are not essentially human beings because, in essence, human beings mm-hmm. are body and soul. Yeah. Hey, so by it doesn't way, make sense. Yeah. I'm sorry for interrupting. But think of Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist in the sixth month of his mother's pregnancy, so he's second trimester, is filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. So he's a fetus. Um And Jesus, at that point, is an embryo, because right after the conception, Mary's conception of Jesus, she goes immediately, according to Luke Wong, to see Elizabeth, because the angel told her Elizabeth was pregnant. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking out a window, there's a deer walking by. (laughs) Sorry for the distraction. (laughs) Chewing on the grass out there. Anyway, the... um, and and so, but he's in the in the presence of Jesus, who is a is a embryo, all right. Um, early first trimester, a couple of weeks, maybe six. I don't know how long does it take for her to get to Jerusalem, you know, uh, and how long did she wait to go? But look, it's early. Yet Elizabeth says, "How is it that the mother of my Lord?" should come to visit. Not the woman who will be the mother, but the mother of my Lord. And why was John jumping in her womb for joy? It's because he's in the presence of the Lord. Now, keep in mind, sound Christology is that Jesus, the incarnation, he's one person in two natures, all right? And he has a physical nature, he has a human nature, and he has a divine nature, all right? But but his divine nature is is the person, the single person, which is the second person of the Trinity. So if he is the Lord in his mother's womb when he's an embryo, that means the full individual is there then. Okay, so which speaks to your point about there isn't this gap of time where you have a part human, full human body with no human soul attached to it. By the way, th- that particular observation um, doesn't 
adjudicate between either view, creationism or or traducianism. It just makes the point that you were making that mm -hmm. from the beginning, we're whole human beings, regardless of how the soul is generated. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I have no reason to think otherwise that that somehow we would be, you know, there would be a time when we mm -hmm. would have no soul. There, I, I see no reason to think that because we would not be human. Mm -hmm. Like if we're if we're the being that we are, then we have the essential properties of that being. Yeah, J.P. Borland has made the point that when a, when someone dies, a corpse is not a human body, and that's why it deteriorates. It is it is the body of of a former human or something like that, however you want to characterize it, but the body is no longer human because the soul is no longer there, you know? And so uh, it's the, the, the humanity of that body has been compromised now because the soul is gone for good at death. Um, the thing I just remember, the thing we were talking about is just a reflection about how, if it turns out that the parents produce the soul, um, there, at least in principle, there could be a, for lack of a better word, inherited soulish characteristics, just like their inherited physical characteristics. Now, we know the the operation of genes, how that determines physical characteristics. We don't know how the soul might do that, certainly not a physical process. But um, think about the Bach family, for example, not just Johann Sebastian, but all of his kids and his grandkids and his cousins. And there was a flock of these Bachs that were magnificent musicians. Now, if tr the Traducian view is true, then then the, the very gifted parents in this I take as mus beautiful the ability to make beautiful music is a soulish quality. It, it, you're not going to find this in chemistry and physics and molecules and brain matter or anything like that. Um, of course, those things are used to manifest the soul's capability, but it's, those things are not resident in the physical stuff. This is a soulish capacity. And it may be then what explains that is not not so much nurture, but nature, that all of these individuals had inherited some capacity like their parents and grandparents. Certainly nurture had a factor if they're being raised in musical homes as well. But there has to be something to nurture in the nature to produce the magnificent music that this whole family produced over time. Mm -hmm. Just a thought. Let's go to a question from Chris Brooks. What would you say to an egg is not a chicken, so an embryo is not a human? Um, I'm not pausing because I don't know how to answer this. I'm trying to find the right language. This is exactly parallel to an acorn is not, a, is not an oak. Okay, the problem in both cases is is that the language is not adequate to understand essences and natures. Okay, um, an acorn. Let, let's just use the acorn and oak for example. All right, when people use the word oak, they are generally referring to the tree in like in their yard. There, that tree, that's an oak. An acorn is not that thing. But what an oak is, is a kind of living thing. Okay, it has an oak nature. And it has its oak nature no matter what stage of development it's at. So an acorn is not an oak tree. 
but it is an oak with the capacity to become mature in a stage where it's a tree, a mature tree. But the acorn is an oak. When it sprouts, it's a sprouted oak. When it has a slender shoot coming up, it is an oak shoot. When it gets older, it is an oak sapling. And when it's like years old, it 50 years old, it's an oak tree. There, It's an oak all throughout. And by the way, it is the same oak. It isn't a different oak. It's the same oak. This oak tree has been sitting in my yard since my grandfather planted it. This same oak tree has been there all these time, even though it started out as an acorn. Okay. So now when you have the chicken, now here, this is where the words are troublesome. Okay. The egg if it is not fertilized, is not a chicken. It is a it is an egg, an ovum, all right? If it is fertilized, then it is a chicken. If you think of the chicken as the individual organism type, but it isn't at the stage of development that we normally identify as a chicken, the thing running around in the yard with, you know, with the wings and the feathers and all that other stuff. Okay, so the word chicken often, generally, when we say it, we're talking about the mature, the mature stage of development. But the same thing applies with with this chicken, this bird, this kind of bird, this kind of living thing, as to the oak. Um, the, it is the same individual that is itself through every stage of development. So if the egg in question here is fertilized, then it is a chicken. There's a chicken in there eating away at the yolk using the oh, – oh, you know how that all works. I don't have to get into physiology. but um, And uh, and so, you know, you need to have twins too. I, I once – that was up here in Wisconsin again. I cracked three eggs into the frying pan, and every one of them was a double yolk. I got a picture of it, okay? So I had sex tuplets. Well, no, I guess there were separate eggs. So I had three sets of twins <laughs> frying in my <laughs> frying pan. Um, so had they been fertilized, they would have they were in six chickens just at the earliest stages of development. And that is the problem with this. Like you said, Greg, sometimes people will use the acorn oak example, egg chicken, same thing. What's happening here is that people are confusing the stage of development language with the type of being language. Mm-hmm. So the stage of development is embryonic chicken and adult chicken. So embryonic and adult. Mm-hmm. And the type of being language is the chicken. Yes. If you want to use that, I'm trying to think if there's another word to use, but there's a maybe there's official whatever, but uh, scientific <laughs> characterization, but right. So, so an embryonic chicken is not an adult chicken. Right. But they're both chickens. Right. Because you you you, and this is where people make the mistake. They just confuse the stage of development question. So when we're talking about human beings, what I like to do instead of saying fetus, I'll say fetal human being, mm-hmm. fetal human. So it's clear that I'm not talking about a different thing. I'm just talking about a different stage of development. Right. Right. So we can talk about a fetal human. We can talk about a newborn human. We can talk about uh, talk about an adult human. Right. They're all humans. <laughs> At different stages. So if you somebody says, well, it's just a fetus, the question is, what kind of fetus is it? 
It's a human fetus. Acorn is a seed. What kind of seed is it? It's an oak seed. See, mm-hmm. this this helps you to zero in on the nature issue, which is the heart of the issue here when we're talking about abortion. Mm-hmm. What is the yeah, thing so itself? Yeah, so in that case, what? yeah, it, it's a fetal what? Fetal is just describing a stage. Yeah. So what is it exactly? Yeah. I think it, it, it's hard for people to make this connection. I've had these conversations, and they're so used to thinking of, of it as a different thing that it can take a while to get to get this concept through to them. But if you keep explaining, you know, it's not a newborn, it's not an adult, it's a fetus, it's just a stage of development. Right. It's not a different thing. Well, there's another thing that, to, to, to go to here, and that is – these are the kind of conversations you have with people who are belligerent regarding the issue of abortion. If that exact same person, if that same woman that is making this point were to get pregnant, she would and want the baby and the and she wasn't guarding pro-choice turf at all, she would immediately be identifying the baby, the child, the one inside her, the separate one she's carrying that she's nurturing or whatever it's obviously her child and and they bear testimony we're pregnant what does that mean we're with child that's that's what the phrase means to be with child regardless of the stage of development they are with child child being the uh, designation of, of a young human being at all those stages so all those early stages so this isn't we there's nothing tricky going on here we all know this you know when people say my body, my choice, when that person using that slogan gets pregnant and somebody and she's in her, let's say her first trimester or second trimester, people don't say, hey, how's your body? They say, how's your baby? They don't say, how's your body? She doesn't say, my body's doing fine. And my baby's doing fine is what she's going to add to make the distinction clear. This is common sense. It's amazing how we human beings are capable of deceiving ourselves, mm-hmm. I think. And well um, because I think this is fairly clear, but if you want to not see it, there are a lot of things that you can say to try and avoid the truth of the matter. Right. Well, I hope that helps you out, Chris and Jason. Thank you for listening. If you have a question, send it to us on Twitter with the hashtag STRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 